are in week two of this series that we've entitled The Many Colors of God's Faithfulness. And we are walking through, for many of us, probably a familiar story. For some of us, maybe not. And regardless of who you are, we are glad that you're here. And walking through Genesis 37 through Genesis 50 at this story of Joseph. And we introduced this last week. We'll be in it 11 weeks total. And one of the things that we stressed as we began this series, kicked off this series, another way to say it, last week was because we're very familiar, many of us, with this story, oftentimes we viewed this story in the past this way and, the, and, and really gleaned from this story this principle that if you stick with it, you'll get everything that you want in the end. And we know that the story ends that Joseph is in second in command, he's, he's been given much prominence, been given a great platform, given tremendous riches, and so oftentimes we view this story as that. Stick with it, don't quit, because you're going to end up pretty well in the end. And, And though I would not disagree with every nuance of that idea, though I would disagree with the way that that's stated, I would say that if we only view the story in that lens that we've fallen short of the message of the story that we really want to get across in this series... Because I believe it's so much more than focusing on Joseph. See, I believe the hero of this story, though, though we're going to look at the life of Joseph and, and look at the choices that he made and, and grab principles from God's word that we can apply to our lives. I believe the story is so much more than, than about Joseph. It's about the faithfulness of God. Because God gave a promise that he would send a Messiah who would redeem us from our sin, the sin that, that began with Adam and Eve in the garden. And we looked at this last week, and God chose Abraham to be the father of the nations by which the Messiah would come. And Jacob, being a descendant in this story of, of Abraham, and, and God saying that in Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed, this story is also about God's provision and protection and presence as he keeps his promise to Abraham and to all of us, that a Messiah would indeed come and his name would be Jesus and he would save us from our sins and give us that ultimate blessing, a relationship with God and a home forever in heaven. So this story is so much more than about Joseph. It's also about the faithfulness of God because as we mentioned last week, isn't life so much more than a straight line from point A to point B. Wouldn't it be awesome sometimes if that's the way that it worked? But so often it's not. And life is a zigzag, a right to left, a backwards and forwards from where you believe God is desiring you to go and where you are. And in the midst of all what can seem like confusion and in the midst of pain, in the midst of circumstances that we were not expecting, it's in those twists and turns that God is doing something. He's allowing us and growing in us a perspective to be able to see the many colors and many facets of God's faithfulness. And we see that perspective, and we will see that perspective as we close out this series in Genesis 50, that Joseph looks back in his life and sees the many colors of God's faithfulness. But last week, we started in Genesis 37 and looked at verses 1 through 11, and the title of the message last week was The Truth About God-Given Dreams, and we're going to continue that idea this week. And I gave a definition about what a God-given dream was, and and I gave it this way, and 
It's on the screen. If you weren't here last week, you can watch this online. You can subscribe to our podcast. I encourage you to do that. So obviously I'm not going to preach the message all over again. But I do want to remind us of where we were. Here's the definition of a God-given dream that we gave last week. It's a revelation or a strong desire from the Lord that provides direction for our lives. Now, I know whenever we talk about a dream and a God-given dream, and we use that word revelation, or a, it makes us nervous, does it not, some of us? Because if you're like me, you grew up in a very, like, pretty legalistic uh, upbringing, and uh, the Holy Spirit was definitely in God's Word, but that's about all we talked about Him, Right? I know that's the way it was for me growing up, and so don't let that word scare you. I mean, it's exactly that, a revelation or a strong desire from the Lord that provides direction for our lives. And so oftentimes we want to put God in a box, don't we? And want to say that, God, you can do this and you can't do this. And, and I remember in my life when I was 16 years old and wondering, what in the world does God want me to do with my life? Some of you are 16, have not even thought that yet, and that's okay. But for me, at 16, I was wondering, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I was a pastor's kid. Many of you know that. I've shared that quite a few times and, and maybe didn't always see, uh, saw the, some, oftentimes the ugliness of that. And I remember growing up, and, and as I was getting to think about, man, what does God want me to do with my life, and where does God want, want me to major in in college, and where does God want me to go to college, and all those different questions that flood your mind when you're 16, 17, 18 years old. And I remember being so scared that God wanted me to be a pastor. I remember being so scared by that. Oftentimes not wanting to do that. And I remember it was between my sophomore and junior year, and we went to a camp and outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and as most Christian camps that you go to, they bring in a speaker, and he preaches, and you, you have, there was no cell phones back then, like that's not that long ago, but there was no cell phones, none of that stuff you had to worry about anymore, you were totally unplugged, and so you're with a counselor all week in your cabin, you're listening to messages three times a day, and I remember at the end of that week, as often camps do, there's a reflection time based on everything that you heard, just giving room for God to work and God to speak. And what does he want you to do? What decisions do you believe God is leading you to make? And I remember like being overwhelmed with thinking like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And sensing and almost though not audibly inside of my mind, clearly hearing God say that, Johnny, I want you to preach. Like I remember hearing that vividly in my mind, not audibly. And so from that, I believed, and I really never doubted it from that point, that that's what God wanted me to do with my life. Every person's different. You have a career that God has given you. If I ask you, you're like, I know it's exactly it's what God wants me to do. And God may have not spoken, as you would say, in your mind, like, man, you just heard it loud and clear. Maybe it was just a, a strong desire, like the definition. But let's be careful not to put God in a box. And say that God can't work this way, he can only work this way. And you remember, along with that definition, I gave some clarification on how do we identify a God-given dream? Like, how do we know if it's God-given? How can we discern that? And I gave you some things, and I just want to quickly run through them, because I think it's important. I want to be clear on what we're talking about with a God-given dream. Remember the first thing that I gave, how do we identify a God-given dream? This is where we start. 
We ask ourselves, does your dream contradict precepts or principle from God's word? Because this is God's will. This is the primary way that God speaks. And listen to me, God is never going to say anything that contradicts what he's already said. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So in my context, as I shared with you when I was 16 years old, is there anything in God's word that says you shouldn't desire to preach God's word? Well, we can move on, can't we? We can move on pretty quick from there. Here's the second thing I gave. Have you prayed about your dream? And I remember, man, back when I reflect on that time about sharing that with my parents, sharing that with my youth pastor, sharing that with other people, and just praying about that. God, is that indeed what you want me to do? Like, I didn't go into the ministry with rose-colored glasses. I grew up in it. And I prayed about that and, and had others pray about that. Here's the third thing. Have you sought godly counsel in regard to the dream? I remember having opportunities to teach a little bit when I was in high school and to do different things and, and to have godly men and godly women speak into my life and say, yeah, we affirm that, we see that in you. Like, it wasn't like, hey, I'm a 16-year-old and I desire to preach and now I'm going to go and just start an evangelistic circuit and who wants to book me? Like, I know I'm being silly about that, but, but I'm just sharing with you what I, even as I reflect back, things that, that was given to me on how to determine whether or not that was indeed God's direction for my life. And here's the last thing. And I can say this, I believe with a clear conscience that I don't believe I've ever made any big direction or our family's made any big move and where we believe God was leading us until we got to this lot to be able to answer this last question with a yes. Here it was. Here's what we gave last week. I'm going to give it to you again. Is there an overwhelming desire that says, if you do not follow this dream, you are disobeying the Lord? If you're not there yet, may, doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a God-given dream, but it's meaning that maybe God is not leading you there yet. It's more than a desire. It's a conviction. Like if I don't do this, I'm going to be disobedient to what God wants me to do. And so we gave those things, and I just want to clarify that this morning. And so we go into this morning really continuing that idea of, of just once again reminding us the truths about God-given dreams. And we're going to look now at verses 12 through 36. So let me give you the idea before we actually read the passage. Let me do that this morning. Here's the idea that we're going to see in this passage today. That God-given dreams for your future also have God-given truths for the present. That it's not just about what does God desire me to do with my future and being clear on that, it's also reminding ourselves that there are always God-given truths for us to live by in the present. And we're going to see a couple of those truths that are found in this passage of Scripture in Genesis 37 that are affirmed and referenced in other passages of Scripture throughout the Bible. But these truths that we're going to look, look at are always in harmony with God's plan for your future, understand that. Because what we choose to believe and how we choose to live is going to affect our future. Understand that. What you choose to believe and how you choose to live is going to affect your 
future. Because I can't focus on the God-given future without also giving attention to how he wants me to live in the present. Because if I'm only focusing on the future and not focusing on what God expects of me in the present, dreams then are only desires. For they stop. But dreams are more than desires when we make disciplined decisions. And so what I want to do is give you two God-given truths for living in the present. And so you're in Genesis 37. Let's start reading in verse 12. You look along with me as I read out loud. It says in verse 12, Now his brothers, this is Joseph's brothers, went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flocks at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he, Joseph, said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Jacob speaking, Go now, see if it's well with your brothers and with your with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him, Joseph, wandering in the fields. And the man asked, What are you seeking? Well, I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They've gone away, for I heard them say, Let's go down to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And they saw him, this is Joseph's brothers, saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Remember that we saw earlier last week how much Joseph's brothers hated him. Now they want to kill him. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, Reuben being the oldest, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So Reuben's plan was, let's just throw him in the pit, and I'll come back later and I'll pull Joseph out of the pit. Here's the first truth that I see in this passage of Scripture about living in the present. Number one, obedience today leads to my God-given dream for the future. Obedience today, today, leads to my God-given dream for the future. Now, remember what I said when we're walking through a narrative, how important it is, let's put ourselves in the story and just imagine. So think about this. Joseph is how old, quiz, how old from last week? 17, you did way better than the 9 a.m. 17 years old, I know it's later. 17 years old is how Joseph is. And so think about this. So Jacob is going to ask his favorite son. Remember we said Jacob's not getting father of the year. But Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And he's going to ask his favorite son, who's 17, to take a 50-mile journey that most people believe would take five days on foot to go see a group of people, his brothers, who hate his guts. Now just think about, if you have a 17-year-old, about asking them, hey, I'm totally cool with you taking a 50-mile journey on foot to just go, like, visit some people. How many of you would like be totally cool with that? Some of you are like, man, sometimes I think I might be. But 
Probably not. So I don't have a 17-year-old, but I think back to how much I love my kids, and I think about, remember the first day of kindergarten when you had to drop your kid off? Remember that, moms? Like you're driving and you're like preparing yourself and your, your son or daughter is so excited in the back seat like they can't wait and you're like dreading this moment. You've been thinking about this moment for days and weeks and you drop them off and you're trying to hold back the tears and then you get in your car and you totally lose it. Why? I'm dropping my little girl or my little man off to a place where I don't necessarily have control. And you can think about various times, whether it's their first sleepover or the first time they went to middle school or the first time that they went to college or the dads, you walking your daughter down the aisle and think about all those emotions of the person that you love so dearly and literally saying, like, hey, why don't you go do this? And so I just share that to say this was a monumental thing. It wasn't no simple thing that Joseph was being asked to do, and I love that Joseph just simply says, yeah, Dad, here I am. Here I am. I'm going to be obedient to what me to do. I'm going to go see my brothers who I know hate my guts and take this long five-day journey. Not sure what's going to happen on that journey. Not sure if my food's going to run out. Not sure if I'm going to be safe. Not sure if I'm going to be attacked by robbers on the way. But I'm going to go, Dad. Notice Joseph doesn't say, Dad, do you realize who I am? I've had two amazing dreams. You're going to bow down to me one day. You've given me this amazing coat that just symbolizes that I can just kick my feet up and eat bonbons all day because I've been given a double inheritance. You're seriously asking me to go see my brothers? They don't even care about me. Joseph, from a human perspective, would have had been within all of his rights to say that, but instead, what does he say? Here I am. Three words that display such an amazing picture of obedience. And what did we say that the first God-given truth was for us living in the present in light of our God-given dream for the future? It's that obedience today leads to my God-given dream for the future. Listen to me. Daily decisions lead you to a destination. Don't be fooled in thinking that's not reality. Daily decisions lead you to a destination. Nobody arrives at a destination in life by chance. No one. No one. We've heard people, maybe even ourselves, have said, man, I have no idea how I got here. How did I get here? Or being deceived because we got there by a series of decisions that we made. Nobody decides, guess what? Today I'm going to blow my life up. It's a series of decisions, and it's oftentimes a slow fade. And on the reverse side, nobody accomplishes anything great for God with also not a series of deliberate and disciplined decisions. And we need to remind ourselves of that because what I think is interesting is you go to verse 15, if you look at it in Genesis 37, and Joseph goes to where his brothers are supposed to be and they're not there. 
And then all of a sudden, Joseph just happens to run into this person whose name is not mentioned that tells Joseph that his brothers are actually 14 miles away from where they should be in Dothan. So Joseph travels another 14 miles. But what I think is interesting is in the step of obedience, God also gives a divine appointment because God allows this guy to show up to tell Joseph where his brothers are. And haven't we seen that in our life? I mean, I can look back to many times in our life, many times in my life where the divine appointment happened and I followed that and that decision or those decisions led me to these decisions or led me to meet this person who this person was used by God in this way in my life or that way in my life. We all can, we all can look back and see those things. And that's exactly what's happening here. But it all started with Joseph saying to his father, Dad, I'm going to obey. I'm going to be obedient today. And somehow we've been deceived into our thinking that I can make choices of disobedience that will still lead me to experiencing the blessings of obedience. How often times do we think that? I've thought that. That God, I know this is what your word says. I know this is what you say needs to be true in my life. But I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. But even in me doing what I want to do, I'm still getting deceived into thinking that it's still going to bring about the consequences that would come from obedience. And when I was thinking about that, even in my own life, of the times that I would be foolish enough in thinking about that, I thought of Galatians 6, 7, which says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. And don't you see the contrast between Joseph's choices, Joseph's decisions, and his brother's decisions in this passage of Scripture? Joseph says to his father Jacob, Here I am. I'll do what you want me to do. Even with people that I know hate my guts. But look at the contrast between the choices that Joseph's brothers are making. Because their choices are not fueled by obedience like Joseph's choices. Their choices are fueled by jealousy. They're fueled by jealousy. And listen to me, I'm about to make a 100% statement. And whenever 100% statements are made, you're always like, well, let me think of the exception. I promise you're not going to think of the exception on this one. Here it is. Decisions motivated by jealousy will always be sinful decisions. Always. Decisions made, motivated by jealousy will always be sinful decisions. You don't see a decision that the brothers are making where you can say, well, I don't think that's too bad. I think I could see the right in that. So let me give you a definition of jealousy. Here it is. Jealousy, as I've defined it, is this. Self-focused belief that you are more deserving to have what others have been given. It's a self-focused belief. What I've found is when my heart is being tempted to be jealous or has jealousy in it, it's all about me. A self-focused belief that you are more deserving to have what others have been given. So let me just give you quickly some ways that we can evaluate our hearts and say, man, am I struggling with jealousy? Because if decisions motivated by jealousy are never 
godly decisions, but always sinful decisions. And we probably need to check our hearts, don't we? Lest we be like Joseph's brothers. Here's the first thing and how I, how do I know if I'm struggling with jealousy? You are obsessing about what you don't have rather than being thankful for what you do have. You're obsessing about it, about what you don't have rather than concentrating on what you do have. These brothers were going to make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And even though they were not elevated to where Jacob unhealthily elevated Joseph, they were still going to be given tremendous platforms and responsibilities and futures. But they were so obsessed with what they didn't have that they couldn't be thankful for what they did have. Here's the second thing. You are experiencing dysfunction in your relationships. I wonder if that's true right now. Your relationships, if you're honest with yourself, are totally categorized by dysfunction. If that's you this morning, then you need to ask yourself, is that because of jealousy? I find it interesting. James 3, 14 through 19 says this about jealousy. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Like, don't be deceived into thinking that you can make godly decisions that are motivated out of jealousy. Verse 15, this is not wisdom that comes down from above. But look at how this attitude is described. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Can't think of much stronger language than that. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, look at this, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That's why I said, you're experiencing dysfunction in your relationships? Is it totally chaos? Is it totally like angst against one another? Then I wonder if there's not jealousy that is motivating decisions in your personal life, in your household, in your relationship. Here's the third thing. You're defensive to counsel that disagrees with your perspective. Like I found that when somebody who I respect is saying something different from what I want to do, like is there defensiveness that rises up? I can see that in, in, in times in the past and when I felt like, man, I wanted to do this and someone else brought a word that I didn't like and I got so super defensive and I can look back now and say, man, there was probably some jealousy there. It's like when you go into the dentist, right, and they take that tool that, ooh, I hate, and they put it in there. What happens? You don't, you don't go up off the chair unless they touch something that's not healthy. Here's the fourth thing. You are guilty of villainizing the person that you have issues with. Don't you see that? Isn't that what the brothers are doing here? Hey, there's our brother, the dreamer. Here he comes. Let's kill him. I mean, they had villainized Joseph to a point where he could do no right. And if I have a person in my life that I am doing that with, First of all, I need to pray that God would give me eyes to see that because many times we're oblivious to it and everybody else sees it. But if I am villainizing person to where they can do no right, then I wonder, am I jealous of them? Is jealousy driving that? Because the danger of that is if I have jealousy in my heart, there are no decisions that are going to come out of that that are going to be decisions that are in line with God's will and God's word. Here's another one. You fantasize about getting your way. And this drove 
Joseph's brothers to want to kill their own flesh and blood. Here's the last one. You're campaigning to get others on your side. Isn't that what his brothers are doing? Man, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Let's ramp. Let's, let's get a mob going. Yeah, yeah, I think we need to do that. Just some things to consider. But I feel like whenever we talk about obedience today and focusing on that and focusing on God's will today and how obedience today will lead to my God-given dream for the future, I think we need to define what God's will is and be clear about that. And here's what I want you to understand. I want you to hear this loud and clear. God's will is God's word. Say that with me. God's will is God's word. And we need to remind ourselves of that. That whenever I am living my life according to God's will, I am not today... When I'm focused today, God, what does your word say and how I am to live today? That when I'm focused in that way, obedience today, I'm never going to miss God's will for my future. I'm not going to miss it. It's not this moving target. I remember growing up and thinking, oh, God's will, the person that I'm supposed to marry, the place that I'm supposed to go for school, the the thing that I'm supposed to do with my life, this decision and that decision, and and thinking to myself and having a skewed view of God's will that it's like going to a carnival game and that target's moving and I got my little BB gun and I got three little BBs in it and I hope I can get it one out of three. How often do we view God's will that way? But when we understand, no, 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 God's will is God's word. And when I'm being obedient to God's word today, I'm never going to miss God's will for my future. And obedience means that those times where I make decisions that are out of line with God's word, that obedience says, let me confess it, let me repent of it, and let me get back in line with God's word. And if I'm postured that way, I'm not going to miss that God-given dream for my future. We need to view God's will as a lush, green pasture that's fenced in with his word. Like there's his words, there's the boundaries, there's where I experience God's will for my future, his best. I mean, look at it as that, not this moving target that goes around. Because obedience today leads to my God-given dream for the future. Here's the second thing. Here's the second truth. And it's found in verses 23 through 35. Can we look at that real quick? Let's continue reading in verse 23. It says, so Joseph came to his brothers. He was obedient. But look at their response. They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Look at how much their jealousy has taken them down. They sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother in our own flesh. Oh, let's all give Judah applause. So gracious. Let's not kill him, let's make money off of him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Then we see Reuben returns to the pit and sees what his brothers have done, and he's upset about it. And Look at verse 35. It says, All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, 
because the brothers have come and they've showed Jacob this coat of many colors that was dipped in blood so that Jacob would think that Joseph was killed by wild animals. Let's jump up to actually verse 34. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. And his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, you almost to see the scene changing in the movie. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, Joseph, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Here's the second truth. For living in the present, opposition will accompany a God-given dream. Here's something we need to understand and remind ourselves of. Obedience doesn't necessarily equal ease. I probably didn't need to tell you that. We need to be reminded of it. Obedience doesn't always equal ease. Because obedience for Joseph put him in a pit. Obedience for Joseph sold him to Egypt. Obedience for Joseph made him a slave to Potiphar. Obedience for Joseph took him away from a land that he loved, his home. And what's interesting, and most times we don't emphasize it, Joseph never sees that home again. And we have in Exodus 13 that his bones are taken back to Egypt, but Joseph never sees his home again alive. So what do we do with that? what I went back to at the beginning of this message. It's looking at this story as so much more than a feel-good story wherein the hero gets to go back home getting everything he wanted when he was 17. We sell the story short that way. But rather, it's viewing this story as a story of provision and a story of promise in which Joseph pays an unthinkable price for his obedience. But in paying that price, Joseph received peace satisfaction and perspective in what God has done, had done, and through his life for a purpose much greater than himself. That's what this story is about. That even though Joseph never saw his home again, he got to see God's presence and power and provision and that he always keeps his promises in a way that he never would have experienced before. So even though obedience doesn't always bring ease, it always brings blessing. And let's not get ourselves thinking that blessing is always material. Blessing sometimes, yes, may be, but blessing is so much more than material because the blessing that Joseph got to see at at his life 22 years later was God's faithfulness on display in a way that he would never experienced otherwise. And yes, though, opposition comes with a God-given dream. It's not this idea that, oh, God, I've been given a God-given dream that this is the direction he wants me to go. Oh, Now I'm walking like this, waiting for the hammer to fall. That's not it. But it is understanding that it's going to come. 
Because if God has a direction for my future, and God has a purpose for my life, and God wants to accomplish good works, which he's prepared beforehand that I should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10, don't you think the enemy doesn't want that to happen? God doesn't bring evil, but God uses evil when it comes to accomplish his purposes. This evil that was in Joseph's brother's heart was not God-given, but God used it. And opposition will accompany a God-given dream. But what I find interesting is I look at this section of this story in Genesis 37, and I see, and we would be foolish to overlook it, that Joseph finds himself in a pit. And if you're like me, as I was studying this passage of Scripture this week, I thought to myself, man, I bet Joseph thought that we have no evidence that he did. But I know I would think it if I was in the pit. God, if I would have just been disobedient to my dad, I wouldn't be here right now. If I would have told my dad, no, I'm not going. If I would have stopped where my brothers should have been and said, all right, I look for them, I'm going back home. But instead, I went the extra mile to be obedient, and that has led me in this pit. I wonder if Joseph thought that, because I know I would, and I bet you would as well. And some of us are in a pit right now, and it's not because of poor decisions or sinful decisions that we've made. We're in a pit right now, and we're striving to serve Jesus We're living our lives according to his will and his word. And yet we still find ourselves in that pit. So what do we do with that? We do what I believe Joseph did. When there's nowhere to look to my right or to my left, I look up. I look to the only place I can go. I look up. I see that pit as an opportunity for me to look up so I can have the proper perspective. Because we don't see anywhere in this passage of Scripture where Joseph is screaming out with his finger at God saying, God, I obeyed and this is what you did. We don't see that. And what we have to conclude and what we have to surmise from that is that Joseph didn't have that attitude. Listen to me. The God who gives the dream also is the God who uses the pain of the pit to grow our, your, my perception of his presence, his power, and his provision for our lives. God's going to use the pain in that pit right now. He's not going to waste it. He's not going to waste that experience that man meant for evil. He's going to use it. And he's going to use it in such a way that your belief and your understanding and your perspective of his power and his presence and his promises are seen in a way that you would never have seen it otherwise. Because that's what our God does. Because he's faithful. And the God who gives the dream also gives the means to accomplish the dream. And so let me just, as we close this morning, give you some ways that we face opposition when it accompanies a God-given dream. 
Here's the first way. Super simple. Expect it. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be wishing it, but expect it. I mean, I think it's 2 Timothy 3.12 that says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When you set your heart to do what God wants you to do, opposition's going to come. Because the enemy doesn't want that for your life. He wants to come to steal, to kill, and destroy, John 10.10. Expect it. Here's the second thing. Remind yourself of God's character when opposition comes. Because everything in you is going to tempt you to put your eyes on the pit rather than on the person of God Almighty. Remind yourself of God's character. Psalm 18.2 says this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, speaking of that the Lord is his strength, my strong hold, the one that I run to. And you know what's interesting about Psalm 18 is that you have over and over again, not the phrase, your shield, your rock, your stronghold, but it's my shield, my rock, my stronghold, my horn of my salvation. You see what the psalmist is doing there? He's making God and who he is and his presence and his power and his person and his promises, he's making them personal. So when I'm in the pit, I'm going to look up to the one who is faithful. Here's the third thing. I'm going to pray for eyes to see God working through the opposition. Don't we need that? God, give me eyes to see you working. So often we only focus on the God-given dream for my future. Well, God, you haven't done it yet. You haven't done it yet. You haven't done it yet. You haven't done this yet. You haven't done this yet. And we focus, focus so much on the future that we forget and we overlook the ways that God is working in the present. Here's the fourth thing. Take one day at a time. How did Joseph get through 22 years of captivity? One day at a time. One day at a time. Matthew 6, 34. Such a great verse that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I love that verse. We get so caught up, what if this happens, what if that happens, what if this person does this, what if that person does this, what if they say this, what if they say that, what if this is a no, what if this is, what if that's a yes, whatever it may be. And you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to focus on today. Let me be faithful today. God, let me see your faithfulness today. God, let me be obedient in my choices today. And here's the last one. Celebrate confidently that God's presence is with you. Celebrate it confidently. Not sheepishly, but confidently that his presence is with you. And listen, I don't want to steal all of my thunder from next week, but in Genesis 39, we're going to see over and over again the phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. 
And let me tell you something, and we need to remind ourselves of it this morning, that if you're in a pit this morning, God's presence is with you. He's not left you alone. He's not allowed you to walk through that alone. He is with you. We emphasize it in worship in Psalm 23, 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So let's celebrate that confidently, that even though I don't know why I'm in a pit, even though I'm making godly choices and I find myself in a pit because of something someone else has said or done about me, God, I'm going to remind myself that your presence is with me. Because when we believe that God is in control, our perspective changes. It changes. We no longer see the events in our life as random circumstances that just happened to us. We see them as things that are not wasted by Almighty God. Two God-given truths to remember today in light of the God-given dream for our future. Obedience today leads to my God-given dream for the future. And opposition will accompany the God-given dream. And let's evaluate our lives this morning as we close today. Am I making daily decisions directed by God's will found in God's word? Or am I making decisions motivated by something else? Maybe it's even jealousy. Let me not be so foolish to think that decisions that I make motivated out of those means will lead to anything good. God, let me be obedient today. And let me walk through that opposition knowing that you're right there with me and you are in control.